Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abadisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Ani Abadisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's bad-tempered, self-centered, crazy little world. As always, we try to present our information with as much grace and empathy as can be mustered on any given day. We're not always successful. I'll admit to that, but we are on a bound to give it a shot. And on this show, the Metaphysical Martini Show, we do love shots. Yes, we do. In fact, I'm going to have one right now. Excuse me. <coughs> very nice. Very nice, too. Our rally cry is, awaken, oh, my people. Do not follow the path of the sheeple and do not give our God cause to Weeple. If you're joining us for the first time, well, hello and a very warm welcome to you. Be advised, we do not do politically correct. Not on this show. We don't do it because we do not wish to erode our intellect. We martini heads, you see, we're straight talking, straightforward folks. We are direct, but we come from a core of respect. We don't make shit up here. We don't do any fakery to up our numbers. We don't talk bollocks just because we can. You know, what you see here, it's what you get. In a world full of rubbish, we are little nuggets of truth. That's what we are. We value common decency, common courtesy, common sense, individual soul sovereignty, and our collective sovereignty. And that includes national sovereignty. Something very important and something that's under threat right now. On this show, when we use labels, we do so for identification purposes. We are strictly non-partisan because we believe, we know, all parties are in the can. Our world has lost its moral compass. And without a moral compass, well, the whole political arena, it's nothing more than a never-ending power play benefiting a small group of sociopaths gorging themselves on the fat of the land while the rest of humanity begs for scraps under tables groaning with the fruits of its own labor. And people, 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 Marsha, 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 by now with so many repetitions of the same scenario throughout the ages, humanity, why don't we know better? How on earth did we become such feeble-minded, boot-licking peons? Well, my darling, <laughs> this is what this show is all about. Looking at the bigger picture, stepping outside the carefully crafted establishment narrative. And I will say, it is not for the faint of heart. So if you're one of the tens of millions, hundreds of millions, perhaps a billion or more people who would rather sleep comfortably in the manufactured illusion, if you're content to do as you're told, eat what you're given, behave as ordered, believe everything the daily spin churns out, this show is not for you. So I advise you move along, move along now, nothing to see here. If, ahaha, on the other hand, you have capacity for objective thought, and wish to better understand the marvels of cosmic co-creation to enjoy your incarnation, 
Well, you might hear something of value in the next hour. Who knows? Life is an adventure. And adventure means excitement, new journeys, new frontiers, lots of laughs along the way and probably a few tears. But it's all good. Ups and downs, smiles and frowns. But it will all get sorted out in the end. And after a good rest, we're off on another adventure because we are cosmic co-creators. Created by creator as space adventurers to boldly go and do bold things once we get there, wherever there is. Let's not lose sight of the magical gifts of inspiration and creative visualization. When creator source I am, Alpha Omega, big dude, threw us out of the islands of paradise, which is the name of the realm of source energy, we didn't have a clue what to do, really, or where to go or what to pack. But clearly, we figured something out because here we are, tiny humans on one of the billions of planets in the cosmos. And we're alive. We're living. Things are happening. Yes, we exist. And the cosmos continues to expand. You see, the urge to incarnate, to create is so extraordinarily strong within us. And it makes me giggle because once we get here, all we do is complain. I think we need to remind ourselves of our true nature, our cosmic, unlimited, magnificent, divine nature, each and every day. We need to revisit the affirmations we repeat day in, day out, and take a moment to understand what they really mean and why we bother to say them. I know people who repeat affirmations daily. They have done for months, even years, decades, and have seen no change. Their circumstances remain the same. And I think those would be the same people who pray daily, and yet their circumstances remain the same. Just waiting for God to answer their prayers, even if it takes someone the other day told me I've been waiting 30 years for God to answer this prayer. My, you know, I didn't say this, but my initial reaction is what kind of a useless, lazy God are you praying to? What's going on here? Everything is energy, of course, and everything is vibration and like really does attract like. When we communicate with supreme cosmic intelligence, we need to communicate with spirit from a place of worthiness, from self-respect, self-esteem. Spirit sees us through its eyes, and what it sees is pure, unblemished divine potential having a temporary human experience. It understands the challenges of living in a human body with ancestral coding. Of course it does. But it also knows that any one incarnation is a tiny part of the whole soul. And that is why we say illuminate the soul and let it guide the human. Let the spirit inhabit the human. We should take time out each day to ponder the concept of our magnificent eternal souls. It is important, I believe, to take our divine cosmic nature for granted. To make that knowledge, that illumination, the primary vibration within our being. That way, when we converse with spirit, the highest part of our consciousness is engaged. That's important. We're not praying from, oh, unworthy me, I am a miserable sinner and all that BS, because it really is BS. When we pray or meditate, repeat affirmations, it is important to honor our creator by honoring our divine roots. Now, we should always start with some deep, slow, purposeful breaths. And how many times have you heard me say that? Probably more than you can remember. But it's important because the divine is Wi-Fi. The information comes in through our breath. 
That's why every culture calls their version of scripture the breath of God. It relaxes the physical body. It prepares the energy body, the breath of God. Nine breaths is a good number to start with if you're not familiar with purposeful breathing. You know, that air, the air we're breathing, think of it as divine Wi-Fi. I kind of like that. Let it flow through you. Let it cleanse you. Let it purify you. Let it vitalize you. Let it stabilize you. And above all, when you're really consciously doing this deep, slow, purposeful breathing, you're allowing it to overwrite any error codes in your DNA, RNA strands. And we have a lot of those because we are billions of years old. We've accumulated a lot of memories and a lot of unprocessed emotions. So you breathe in, two, three, four. Breathe out, two, three, four, five. Your exhale should always be longer than your inhale. You want to be completely empty before you inhale again. Using your diaphragm, of course. I'm not talking about shallow lung breathing. Real sort of opera singer type breathing. Let your emotions flow through you as you breathe. Don't let them get stuck in you. Let the breath of the divine cosmos fill you until you feel filled. Feel filled. Say that fast. Until you feel filled with spirit. And a warm, happy glow takes over your being. We're not looking for ecstasy and bliss here. Those are difficult to manage too. But, you know, let's settle for a warm, happy glow when we're communing with the divine. So, okay, pick an affirmation. We've had, I've had a lot of people for some reason write to me um, asking me for affirmations this month, probably because everyone's terrified and confused about what's going on. So let's pick an affirmation, any affirmation. And from your higher vantage point, your place of self-worth, the words of the affirmation that you've chosen, they have new meaning. They've taken on a new life. One of the greatest affirmation writers, I think, in recent history was uh, Florence Scovel Shin, who wrote The Game of Life and How to Play It. She's sort of like a, a machine for affirmations. <laughs> And one of the most popular ones is all that is mine by divine right is now released and reaches me in great avalanches of abundance under grace and in miraculous ways. That's a lovely affirmation. But if you just keep saying it and saying it and saying it and you don't believe that, it, you know, it applies to you, it's not going to work. If you can't grasp that you're divine then you can't ask for what is yours by divine right, can you? And if you cannot grasp that your creator adores you and wants you to have all the riches in the kingdom, then nothing will be released and thrown at you in avalanches of abundance, will it? If you're merely repeating words, hoping they will come true, which is what a great many people do, you will be disappointed. If you understand, however, that you are repeating affirmations not to make them true, but because they are true, then you will get results. So you're not trying to make something happen. You already are divine. If you are aligned, everything that you need is like floating along a golden river. But here's the problem with the old RNA, DNA strands and the old error coding and why we're not taught spirituality hand in hand with humanity. All of us have a touch of self-loathing somewhere in our coding. It's an error code, of course, and those can be overwritten. And we should make sure we do overwrite them because on so many levels and for so many reasons, self-loathing well, that's a very dangerous state of mind. It's a dangerous vibration. And when it's mixed with self-pity, it drills energy holes into what I call the trashy dimensions. The places where all our trash thinking is stored before the great cosmic collection. And since like attracts like, we don't want anything escaping from those realms into ours. I received letters 
<clears throat> from people who are new to prayer, to meditation, to prayerful contemplation, whatever the heck you want to call it. And for the most part, they say they don't know how to get started. So they say things like, well, what am I supposed to do? Should I kneel or raise my hands up or what sounds do I make to speak to the almighty? Look, spirit doesn't care what you wear or what sounds you make or how you wave your hands. It just wants a clear connection. And that requires a stable energy anatomy and a calm, cool mind. And for many people, that is the first time they realize why energy work is so important. Your electrical field is, is exactly what it is. Your aura and your chakras, subtle though they are, when you're having a physical incarnation, it's an electrical, you know, it's an electrical application. It needs to be kept attuned and clean without short circuits. It needs to be grounded. If you're praying or otherwise communicating with spirit for the first time, which a lot of people seem to be doing in today's, you know, traumatic, uh, traumatic scenario that we're living through here. Why not start with a very simple ritual? Make it your own ritual. Do something simple like just wash your hands. Take a few sips of water because, you know, water, electricity, it helps with the connection. And just sit down, relax your shoulders, do some stretches, sip some more water, take your deep breaths and close your eyes. And just say something along the lines of. Hello, spirit. Hello, God. Hello, creator, whatever you want to call supreme cosmic intelligence. You know what I want, God? I want I long for a close relationship with you. I long to feel your love enfold me. I want to merge my mind with your divine mind. I want to feel your heart beat through my heart. And I want my hands to do your work. I want to experience the joy that only you can awaken in me. God, let me just sit here with you for a bit and breathe with you. Just learn to be with you. Let me learn how to be with you, how to love you, above all, how to trust you. You know, people, if you like, you can set a timer for, say, five minutes and add a minute each day until you reach like 20 minutes. Just breathe and sit with God. Just let the divine vibration saturate you through your breath. Just become familiar with the vibration of your creator. It's what I call experience God through your bod. Just breathe. Don't have any expectation. God doesn't really have any of you. Just be familiar in the presence. Once you experience the peace that prayer brings, you will look forward to prayer time and you'll get agitated and annoyed if you have to miss it. Those quiet, intimate moments with the divine, prayerful contemplation, shooting the breeze with the divine, working things out in the illumination and privacy, that sacred trust within divine mind. In this type of prayerful contemplation, we can open our hearts to God and share our concerns with no judgment, because there is no judgment in divine mind. We can ask for help with any aspect of our lives. We can share our anger, our frustration and our fears. We can hand them over quite literally to be dissolved in divine light. Nothing is taboo during our conversations with God. Spirit willingly takes our burdens from us and replaces them with love everlasting. And when the timer goes off, give thanks and go about your day. And in time, you won't even need the timer because your conversations won't be awkward. We must learn to trust our divine nature. 
We must take it for granted that we are part of a radiant hierarchy of light. If like attracts like, as they say, and it does, then our prayers will only be effective if we see ourselves the way God sees us, divine creations with unlimited potential. So here's a prayer I wrote some time ago to help those who are new to personal prayer. Now, I designed it specifically to illuminate the soul, to help people become comfortable with their divine alignment. Because we don't want prayer to be a big thing. We want it to be ongoing. We want our union, our alignment, our cooperation through the divine hierarchy to be on 24-7. That's how we bring heaven and earth together. So here's a little prayer I wrote. If you like it, so just let me know and I'll send you a copy. Oof. In this moment, I am one with all that is. I am one with all that was. I am one with all that will ever be. I am pure, unblemished, divine potential, as perfect as the moment of my creation. I am one with all creation. This is my truth, and this is the only part of me that is real. One with the light, my radiance serves the divine, and together we serve mankind. Once you've mastered prayerful contemplation, you're comfortable with it. It's an ongoing thing. All the wisdom of the cosmos is available to you. Think about that. Wow. Anything that's anywhere in any universe, in any branch of the Akashic Records, it's there for you because you're aligned. It's just going to stream through you whenever you need it with a balanced and calm energy anatomy. Not only with prayers be answered, but we'll also receive the information with clarity. Just being comfortable with prayerful contemplation we learn to trust the divine, to trust our intuition. And we will learn to differentiate between the voice of light and the endless monkey chattering of today's world. The more we do it, the more we contemplate prayerfully. We learn that God is not something outside. It's not an entity dwelling in a far, far away realm. Rather, it is a light that burns deep within our being. Prayer should never be thought of as a duty. It is an act of union and an act of worship. The union part, well, that's very important because God doesn't care whether it's worshipped or not. Taking our divinity for granted is important because all problems stem from a supposed sense of separation from the divine. Well, religion has given us many mixed messages about what a relationship with God should look like. I mean, let's be honest about that. And every living being reflects God because every living being is an experience God is having. Now, we look at some of those people and we ask ourselves, what was God thinking? <laughs> and probably some people look at us and go, what was God thinking? Well, my darlings, it is a free will universe and playing the game of life on third dimensional planets is not for wimps. <clears throat> it is a tough gig. And currently we are in the light versus dark scenario of biblical proportions which we will never make sense of unless we are aligned with our higher self. So that's enough pontificating on prayer from me today. But I've had so many, so many requests. Um, I think we're going to have to repeat some of the classes on how to start to have a personal prayer session, how to have a personal relationship with God. 
Um, and I'd be delighted to guide anybody through that who wants to be guided through that. Because without alignment, my darlings, incarnation is dark confinement. And we don't want that. No, we don't. All right, let's move on to Quack. Questions, answers and comments. The reason we started the show. We started the show to learn what was going on through your minds. And if you'd like to share the contents of your fabulous minds on this fabulous show, email me at ani at com or snail mail Cosmic Ani, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA. And please let me know if and how you would like to be identified or if you prefer to omit your personal details. All right, where's my little fishbowl? Aha, all right. Our first question today, which I'm going to pull out of the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. This comes from the joint efforts of the cat whisperers of New Mexico and Oregon. I know who you ladies are. They're regular writers to the show who ask, Ani, what does the Galactic Command think of Russia declaring Venus as their sovereign territory? Well, cat whisperers, let me ask them. Hello, Galactic Command. Department of Venus, please. Oh, hello. Hello. I understand Russia has claimed Venus as their sovereign territory. Do you have any comments on this? Hello. Yes, this is Galactic Command. Here's our comment. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. <laughs> I think they said something along the lines of ha ha ha. He he he. Elephant's eggs on a rhubarb tree. Well, cat whisperers, there's your reply. And in the same way as we weren't allowed to put our flag on the moon, Russia won't be allowed to put any claim on Venus. It just doesn't work that way. But thank you for the question. Let's take another question from the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. I should not do so many P's. They're very difficult to enunciate. So what have we got? Yeah, this is from Todd in Vancouver, WA, which would be Washington State, who asks, is Bernie Sanders an alien? Todd, no. <laughs> he is human. <laughs> Not sure what would make you think he's an alien, but as far as I know, he's from Vermont, um, which I think is populated by normal folk. He's human, and I think I could stake my reputation on that, Todd, because I'm surprisingly good at sorting out the true from the woo in the ET department. So Bernie Sanders, I think he's a Jewish guy from Vermont and an American, of course. So does that make him an alien? No, it doesn't. Um, thank you, Todd. Let's take another question. And this is from Omit Personal Details. Who asks? There is a rumor going around in my paranormal book club that Putin has been replaced. <gasps> Ooh. Do you have any intel on that? Well, Omit Personal Details person, I don't think it's a rumor. I think he has been replaced and they did it very quietly. And I think they did it just before the new fake Putin announced that he was gung ho for a vaccine. The real Putin would never allow his people to be poisoned, chipped and tracked. I can't give you any proof or hard intel. All I can say is when I look at him through the eyes of someone who understands energy anatomy. It's not Vladimir Putin. It's a whole different DNA RNA sequence. I know idea who it is and how they altered him because it's not a clone. But it makes me very unhappy. If it was a clone. And um, well, if, as I suspect, they killed off the original Putin, his soul could have made the choice to inhabit the clone. Yes, you can do that. But since it's an actual person, a new person already has their own soul. You can't do that. I happen to be very fond of Vladimir Putin. I have the greatest respect for how he stood up against deep state. And again, just like our President Trump was very misunderstood, 
I do believe he was murdered and I do believe he has been replaced. I can't give you any proof on that other than to tell you that the person I'm looking at is not Vladimir Putin. But thanks for the question. I suspect at some point that will gain some traction. Here's a question about reincarnation, and it's from Fridar, Fridar, who says, Dear Ani, how much free will do we have when choosing our incarnations? Hmm. Well, Frida, it is a free will universe, except for nuclear explosions. After Hiroshima, um, we discovered that nuclear explosions damage the energy anatomy so that it's very difficult to put people back together again once they get to heaven. So Creator decreed that there would be no nuclear explosions, not even testing. And I know there's people, scientists, um, military weapons experts all over the world going, we don't know, great leader, why it's not working. <laughs> but it's not working because the divine has said you can't ruin any more energy anatomies with this uh, nuclear thing. But, you know, nuclear explosions aside, it is a free will universe. And we have our spirit guides and other learned counselors at our disposal, helping us sort it all out, helping us to plot our path in incarnations. But it is up to you. And if there are any exceptions to that rule, it would have to be associated with something that affects the collective. Um, an exceptionally large number of people or something, something that would start up a domino effect of woe. You get to make the choices. You get advice, but you get to make the choice about your incarnation. I might just say, I know you've heard me mention this before, but one of the best books ever written about heaven, what happens up there and how we choose our incarnations, etc., is Matthew Tell Me About Heaven, written by Suzanne Ward. It's plain English and it's easy to read and it's filled with warmth and compassion. And in my humble opinion, an essential primer for anyone interested in spirituality and off-world affairs. And you can order directly from MatthewBooks.com. All right. Thank you for that question, Frida. Let's take another question. And who is this from? Uh, omit my personal details. OK, this is from nobody who says. If an entire family dies in an accident, such as an auto accident, will they all go to the same place in heaven? Not necessarily. Now, we're going to take the bigger view on this because. Your placement in heaven is dictated by your personal vibrational signature. The chances of everyone in the family having the same frequency, well, it's not that common. Now, in the event of trauma-related events, even with differences in frequency, there are areas in heaven where souls of varying frequencies can safely meet and interact. A small child may have a four-billion-year-old soul but at the time of the death trauma, if it's still in its personality, which it will be, it needs to be with a parent or a guardian or someone they rely on for comfort and security. They will get that comfort and security. You know, when you get to the other side in heaven, um, the people who greet us there on the other side, they're specialists. They're not volunteers. You know, they know what they're doing. They're not just a bunch of volunteers. And their job is to make our transition as painless as possible. And they do a fabulous job. Um, they're called apparently medical assisters. That's what Matthew uh, says they are called medical assisters. And when he first went up to heaven after this last incarnation of his, he spent some time uh, assisting people. He was a medical assister. So uh, he knows what he's talking about. After that, he went on to clean up the whole of heaven and reorganize it. And now he goes around the cosmos, apparently, reorganizing other people's heavens. So way, Matthew, terrific. Um, thank you for that question. That's that's an interesting question. But don't worry. You know, when you're on the other side, it's all about you being comfortable and loved. You're, you're not going to have more trauma. Your trauma stops once you get into the loving care of the people on the other side. All right, what else do we have today in our fishbowl of perpetual perplexity? Dear Ani, this is from Chiron. Um, I'm assuming it's not, you know, that Chiron, but just another Chiron. Uh, this ascension business is really messing up relationships. 
I'm awake, but my family think I'm nuts. How do you deal with those who are asleep once you have awakened? I mean, I still love them, but their baseline of how the world works is way off mine, and normal conversation is almost impossible. They comment on what they hear on the news, which is official narrative trash. They listen to it, believe it, and then they discuss it. So they're discussing the fake trash they were spoon-fed via television. I mean, Arnie, what do you do with that? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm going to have a drink. Excuse me. Mm. Mm, Chiron. <laughs> I guess the best thing you can do is to say nothing unless you positively have to. And then you might try smiling and saying something like, oh, what a quaint notion or how interesting that you would see it that way. I find the less challenging you are, the better it goes. Some people don't want to know the truth. Others are simply clueless and have no clue that they have missed all the clues to their salvation. And I would keep those interactions short. Oftentimes, I find my silence is what piques their interest. They'll ask if I, and let me just say, I don't talk about this stuff socially. I do this for a living. But on the rare occasion that, you know, I'm in a social situation and somebody has to bring up, you know, deep state or whatever, you know, they, they'll ask if I disagree on something or another. And I'll say, yes, I, I disagree. I have a different opinion. And then I won't say anything else. I'll leave it at that. I let them ask the questions, if they have any, which I will then answer in the simplest and least verbose terms possible. And I let them guide the conversation. They can take it from there. If they have questions, feed them small spoonfuls. Think of it as offering them a sampler platter of alternative ideas. And, you know, having no investment in what or if they choose to taste any of them. It's actually not our place to force people to see something they don't want to see. But here's the thing, you know, if that something is a potential danger to them and to us, yes, we have to find ways to make them aware of it without shutting them down. There are millions of people who have shut down the brain department, but unfortunately, they have not shut down the mouth department. So I feel your pain, Chiron. It is painful to watch people speak and act like mind-controlled automatons. It's painful to see people glorifying the very institutions who would keep them barefoot and clueless and to see them heaping insults on the ones who are trying so very hard to save the automatons from the consequences of their remote controlled actions. It is painful, but you know what? We all got to man up and woman up. This is life. This is world of earthcraft. We got to get in there and finish our quests and try to have a sense of humor about it. Thank you so much. Chiron for that question. Let's do another question, I guess, uh, before we move on to other segments. Otherwise, we're going to get very backed up in the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. This is also from Omit Personal Details. Who, people, you've got to start owning your questions, okay? Don't be cowards. <laughs> no, honestly, it's fine. If you don't want to be identified, I'm not going to identify you. So OPD says, Arnie, What's the scoop on the alleged joint U.S. and German military attack on Dominion servers in Germany? Is it true that the head of the CIA has been killed? Woo, like I would know. Well, let's see. What do I know about this? The most reliable intel I have is that the joint operation was a success. There were fatalities, but Gina Haspel was not killed. She was wounded. Um, and I do believe they were going to put her in, you know, Kipmo. And she didn't want that, you see, because she can dish it out, but she can't take it. So the best I know is that she decided to cooperate with the White Hats in return for not being Gitmoed and interrogated there. And in my opinion, that's more than she deserves because that lady is bad juju and she has authorized and covered up some really unethical things. Um, Ugh, I witnessed torture once. I don't have the stomach for it. It's horrible. Anyway, this woman is a deep state lackey. 
So if she is singing like a canary, as they say, her testimony should be revealing. And I can't wait. We're all waiting to hear the songs of the whistleblowers. I personally am waiting for Assange to be released. I'm waiting for somebody in journalism to grow a pair and do something about something. I'm waiting for the media to split in two. I know there are journalists chomping at the bit to break free of the establishment yoke and report the news instead of publishing their paymaster's narrative. Hey, if anyone out there wants to come and help expose deep state activities, it's now or never, people. Your silence is acceptance. And if we don't speak out against the corruption and speak out now, while fraud and other criminal activity is exposed daily, if we don't speak up now, we will be sorry for an awfully long time indeed. So, mm, think about life without civil liberty, because that's no life at all. Millions of people are out there now masked up. And yes, if you are wearing a mask, you are not being protective of other people. It means you're a moron. You have bought into the official narrative. You are teaching the establishment how badly they can treat you. You're literally begging them to abolish anything that smacks of independence. And you don't even know that that's what you're doing. You know, how sad is that, that we can't step back and take a look at the bigger picture of all of this? Anyway, that's just how it is for now. I'm a certainly encouraged. Things are happening behind the scenes. And if you just listen to CNN all day long or just one channel, you're not going to know what's happening behind the scenes. If you care about what's going on on this planet, you're going to have to look around a little bit. and You're going to have to dig. And also, just because something is an alternative station or an alternative media outlet, it doesn't mean they're true either. It doesn't mean that, you know, everyone has an agenda, right? Right. I have an agenda. My agenda is to make everyone think for themselves again and be independent. All right. Well, thank you, um, whoever wrote that. Uh, it's, you know, important, I think, if people haven't realized that the, the servers were raided. Um, they were. This has been confirmed. So, hoorah. Well, darlings, okay, that's it for Quack, the questions and the answers and the comments. And honestly, a big thank you to all of the contributors. We appreciate all of our listeners, and we are grateful, very grateful, when you take time out to drop us a line. All right, let's take a quick little time check. Do I have time for a little sip of my drink? Oh, you bet your sweet bippy I do. <clears throat> That's a very nice one today. Mm. Right, it's always nice. It's very rare that something goes wrong with a cocktail because I'm very particular on how I mix them. All right, where are we at now? Oh, it's time for tarot. A go, go. Do, 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 do. A little what the heck with your favorite tarot deck. We're using the Robin Wood deck. You can use any deck you wish because it is a free country. But my advice, if you're a beginner, stick to the traditional decks until you can gain some experience. OK. All right. Today's card is, I believe, the two of pentacles. Let's take a look at this card and let's see what intel it has to offer. Well, it's a pretty card. A young person is walking a tightrope remarkably high up in the clouds. And there's a giant white sun or moon in a clear blue sky above the cloud line. And this uh, young person is balancing a giant gold pentacle in each hand, one in each hand, and they're looped together like a figure eight, the symbol of eternal cycle of existence. And we also see two flying boats, one high up by the white orb and one just on the cloud line. This is a very colorful card. There's a lovely blue sky, lovely fluffy clouds. The young person is well dressed, is wearing a pale orange leggings, bright orange pants. Wouldn't be my choice, but OK. Opaque socks, a white undergarment, a blue overgarment, a green cap with a red feather. And the look on that child's face is focused and intent and concentrating, because if you were up in the clouds on a tightrope with a giant golden ball in each hand, you too would be focused, intent and concentrating. 
So what is this card telling us then, besides the fact that red and orange really don't go well together in a fashion choice? Well, we're talking about walking the tightrope. We are holding two large coins and we're trying to get to the other side of the rope without dropping them or dropping to our death. So juggling finances is what comes to mind with this card. Juggling finances, prioritizing obligations, the balancing act of life, the ups and downs of fortune. Have we taken on too much or are we second guessing ourselves halfway through a new adventure? Did we plan things out properly? Do we have a plan? Or are we sailing along this tightrope on a wing and a prayer? I get the feeling I might be so bogged down with duty or obligation or debt that I've lost my ability to create joy in my life. Or perhaps, perhaps we're finding ourselves in a new situation with great potential, but we're experiencing the proverbial learning curve. In the upright position, this is generally a positive card, reminding us to plan properly, review regularly, and to stay focused. And as I'm looking up at the ships floating in the sky, in the traditional rider weight deck, the person holding the pentacles is on solid ground, not up in the air, and the ships are behind him on somewhat stormy seas. So given the nature of currency, as in right now, it's not backed by anything. It's just numbers made out of thin air by the establishment. I prefer the nebulous feeling of the Robin Wood deck with this. Money is just all up in the air, isn't it? And we're trying to balance it and get it from one end to the other, trying to make it through the month, maybe have something left over when we get to the other side. So what happens when we pick up this card in the reverse position? Let me do that now and see. Well, that's weird because it's given me vertigo right off the bat. It's given me vertigo. I'm going to fall right off that tightrope and God only knows where my gold coins will end up. When I look at it reverse, I can't seem to maintain balance. I feel overwhelmed. I'm unstable. Perhaps finances have been neglected or mishandled. Is the debt to income ratio disproportionate? It's just a lot of red tape, perhaps, I can't get through. I need to review and reorganize as soon as possible. You know, if you asked in the reading about going into business with someone and you pick this card in the reverse position, do not go into business with that person. Chances are they are immature and impulsive and all drama and no dreams. So let me end of this vertigo and put the card right side up again. There, I feel so much better now. The two of pentacles. So when you study your tarot cards, you know, don't don't, you know, go to the book and go, well, this is what it means. It, some of what it may mean is in the book, certainly. But you've got to develop a relationship with your cards. You've just got to look at them, talk to them and let the characters in the card talk back to you because their meanings, yes, there are general themes, but they are not fixed. Let the messages be fluid. Use the tarot cards to develop your intuition. You're not interpreting the cards. You're using the cards and their characters and their symbols as a point of focus to talk to you, to give information to pass on or, or indeed just for you. So, you know, reading the cards, it's so you want to get a deck that you really like and uh, and be with it, play with it every day, develop a relationship with it so that it's aligned with you. And that way, Cosmos can talk through your cards. It can talk through runes. It can talk through coffee cups. It can talk through anything and everything. That's the nature of alignment. But for most people, learning to trust their intuition, they do need some tools. And tarot seems to be a very popular tool for people. So that's why I teach it and I enjoy it. I've been playing with tarot since I was 11. All right. That's tarot a go-go. That was the two of pentacles.
And now, my darlings, it is time for the cryptic mystic. Do 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 do. Where we have our way with someone dead who liked to pray. And today's holy roller is da 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 da. The venerable bead. Ah, who was this chap, and why do we care? Well, let's see. The Venerable Bede, he was a British monk, and he's very well known for his works on theology, history, chronology, poetry, um, and of course the biography. Many people accept him as one of the greatest scholars of the early medieval era. So we don't know so much about him, but we know he was born sometime in March of uh, 672, and he died in May 735 in Jarrow. Northumbria, the UK, um, Northumbria, a particularly wet, misty, beautiful part of northern England. So when you ask people about Bede, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, he's the guy that did Historia Ecclesiastica. Because that was an essential source for understanding early British history, you know, the Anglo-Saxons and the Christianization of Britain and the whole area before the whole era before William the Conqueror. And so that, you know, I think that's why they call him the father of English history, because we didn't know too much about our history before, you know, before that time. So anyway, what do we know about child, his childhood? Not a lot. He was born to parents <laughs> living on land belonging to what was then a new monastery, St. Peter, based in uh, Weymouth. Um, and I think that's where Bede received his education, his initial education. Um, his teaching was uh, taken care of by the, you know, the abbot. Um, and then he moved later on to study with Sailfrith. And he survived a plague during that time. Um, he had, a, you know, he didn't have it easy, but, you know, the plague ended and, um, you know, he stayed in Northumbria. He spent most of his life as a monk in Jarrow. Uh, he really enjoyed that life. It was a mixture of prayer and study. He liked both. He was ordained as a deacon at 19, which is young, about 25-ish would be average. And then he was, um, then he became a priest. Historians think he left Jarrow only twice in his entire life, once to visit Lindisfarne and another time to visit York. Um, and his letters, they say, contained hints of other visits, but there wasn't really any evidence that he traveled very far. So if we remember our history, we know that monasteries were the little places of scholarship, the nooks of scholarship in early medieval Europe. Um, and Bede was perfect in a monastery. He was intelligent, pious. He was educated well. Uh, he wanted to really uh, study the entire library and produce a large body of work of writing for the library. What is unusual about him is the breadth, the depth and the quality of the works that he produced, about 50 or so. Um, you know, there's science in there, there's chronological matters, there's history, there's biography. Um, and scriptural commentary, which we would expect from a monk. Um, but he had the chance to become the prior of Jarrow and perhaps even go further up the ladder. But he turned down those jobs because they said, well, you know, it would interfere with his studies and his studies were all important for him. So, you know, that was our bead. Now, if you think about well, what did he write? Well, certainly the Historia Ecclesiastica Gentis Angelorum, the Ecclesiastical History of the English People. That is his, uh, his main thing that he's known for. It's an account of Britain between the landings of Julius Caesar, 55 BC, and Augustine, St. Augustine, in 597 AD. Um, and it's the key source, apparently, on the Christianization of Britain. And it is touted as a mixture of sophisticated historiography and religious messages containing details simply not found anywhere else. 
So it overshadows all other historical works, and it's a key document, according to British historians, in the entire field of British history. I have read it, by the way. I can't say I've read all of his works, but you will be surprised how pleasant a read it is. I would go out there, ask your library to get you a copy of the Ecclesiastical History of the English People by the Venerable Bede. You will be supply, you know, surprised at what a lovely read it is. So, a, a, you know, a life devoted to writing and expanding consciousness. He died in 735-ish and was buried at Jarry, uh, Jarrow, Jarry, Jarrow, before being re-interned inside Durham Cathedral. So, that was your venerable Bede. He was declared venerable when? Um, 836. 836. And on his tomb in Durham Cathedral, they have written, Hic sunt in fossa bidae venerabalis ossa. In other words, here are buried the bones of the venerable Bede. Bede. I like Bede. Um, the Historica Ecclesiastica, it does end with a short account, um, a biographical, you know, autobiographical account, a short account of himself. And he lists, uh, many of his works and just read it. I'm not, I was going to quote it, but I'm not going to quote it because we're going to run out of time. But one of the, you know, one of the things I like to do, as you all know, who listen to the show, is to put post-it pads all over my office with sayings that inspire me. Um, and one of the bead ones that I have is this. I was no longer the center of my life, and therefore I could see God in everything. And, of course, that's when he you know, went into the monastery. I am no longer the center of my life, and therefore I could see God in everything. That is a lovely sentence to begin your prayerful contemplations on. All right, my darlings, if you want to know what I've got going, I'd like to know what I've got going. Go to my website, arniabadician.com. We are having a virtual Christmas party on December the 19th. That's for my cosmic conversation. It is free to attend. So go to the website and take a look at my cosmic conversations. In January, we will have a cosmic conversation that highlights spiritual integrity for confused and world-weary humans to get back to basics so that we never have to have this kind of year again. And also check out my specials because I do things like, ooh, 10% off if you buy gift certificates and uh, 20% off if you buy a lot of gift certificates and blah, 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 blah. Plus, I have my tarot specials. It's all on the website, my darlings. I am not going to bore you with it when you can go to the website and read it at your leisure. So I will just say, I think that's it for today. I've finished my drink, and that always means the end of the show. And I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it, because I had a blast. I never know that an hour has gone by. And, you know, a year or so ago when I started the show, I didn't think I'd be able to get through an hour without people falling asleep or me falling asleep. But it is my pleasure to connect with you every other Wednesday and chat about this and that and a bit of the other. Today's real life cocktail was quite yummy, if I may say so myself. It is a Bonnie Prince Charlie. And here's how you make it. You get one ounce of brandy, good brandy, half an ounce of drambuie. One teaspoon fresh lemon juice and the twist of a lemon peel. Get the brandy, the drambuie and the lemon juice. Put them in a ice filled shaker. Shake it, shake it, shake it. Strain it into a martini glass and then just drop in the lemon twist. It's simple. It's elegant. It's rich. And I have enjoyed it very much indeed. Now, remember, folks. Cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. Trust me on this. I'm Arnie Avedisian. 
This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Music